Uh, like India said, my name is Gino Allison. <laughs> I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who is visiting with us for the first time or for the first time in a long time. Good to have you here or good to have you back. Also, welcome to anybody who might be listening to our services through our website or through our podcast. They're also welcome to worship with us here on Sunday morning. Well, before I get into the message this morning, I just want to invite Ramon Mayo up. He and his wife just spent some time in Ethiopia on a missions trip, and I was watching him and some of the other uh, vineyard folks from around the country post uh, pictures and give some descriptions of what God was doing. I thought it was a really awesome thing that we had a member of our church be a part of that. And so I've asked Ramon to, to spend a couple of minutes this morning uh, sharing about his time there. So why don't you give him a warm welcome. Thank you. It's not my first rodeo. <laughs> um, just, it's good to be back. I'm feeling a little jet lag, but um, just a little story of how we got invited on this trip. Um, we helped to start this church planting partnership um, about 10 years ago. And it was us and a church from Detroit, also a church from Kansas City, and a church from Ohio that got involved in working in Ethiopia. And this past summer, during the uh, national conference, one of the pastors asked me and Yvette if we wanted to come, and they paid for it. And we were like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so we got to Ethiopia, and basically it was for this conference. Um, they were having a conference and a 10-year anniversary celebration of the church partnership. And so can you go to the next slide? And this is the original team that went there 10 years ago. Um, the guy on the, well, to you guys is left, is the leader of the vineyard in Ethiopia. His name is Woodenay. We call him Woody. Um, he's a very um, just spirit-filled guy, very intelligent, and he's really doing an awesome job there. Um, can you go to the next slide? And we went to, we basically had a week-long conference. It's about four days. Um, I wasn't scheduled to preach, but the thing in Africa is you have to be flexible. So I got a message together and preached in one of the conference sessions about character. And one of the things that we wanted to emphasize um, is character and servant leadership. Um, in Africa and Ethiopia, as well as anywhere else, a lot of times people think that being a leader is being, you know, the person in charge and, you know, ordering people around. And we wanted to model something different um, to, to show people um, how Jesus led. And so we, we went through the conference and then we had a baptism uh, service. So next slide. So we're driving out to about 30 minutes from where we were and we get to this this. Uh, abandoned building. And so we were walking past the abandoned building, and I mean, just there's a canyon, and I'm like, okay, where is this baptism at? And so we have to walk all the way down this canyon into um, this bank, the banks of this river. And so on the banks of the river, people are just like worshiping God. There's at least 283 people being baptized. And I'm like, okay, we're going to baptize 283 people in this river. And I heard about this river and they basically warned us, like, be careful that you don't wash away because some people actually washed away um, the year before last after the baptism swimming around in the river and also look out for the crocodiles. 
So all the time we're baptizing people, I don't have my glasses on. I'm trusting everybody around me. I'm looking like, okay, did that rock just move? (laughs) But we just kept on. I mean, people just kept on coming through the line. We're dunking them. And what was really cool, I guess you can call this cool, um, we were baptizing people, and they would come up, and demons would manifest. So we would have to, like, baptize them and then cast out demons. And we, we learned uh, later on that one of the guys there was like, well, we're supposed to do, cast out the demons first and then baptize them. But, hey, we got it done. <laughs> um, next slide. And so after the baptism, we went around to some different churches. Um, we visited the churches, and these churches were on fire. I was like, man, I need to take you guys home with me because they were like amen at every single thing I said. I could have said, like, Coles is having a sale. Amen. It's like every time I talk, amen, amen. I was like, yes, this is great. But we basically wanted to emphasize, like, I mean, they were already on fire, and we just wanted that fire to spread. So I just wanted to pour gas on that fire. And we talked about making disciples and passing on what they already knew to others. And, I mean, the celebration that we had at the end of it, I mean, we were, like, lighting candles. People are dancing with candles, jumping around. I'm stepping back because I don't want to get burned. Um, But... What, what we learned from the celebration is that they plan, they've planted 27 churches um, in the past 10 years. Um, they planted one in a country called Djibouti, which is north of Ethiopia, um, totally Muslim, hot. I mean, just one of the I mean, I wouldn't want to send anybody there for vacation, for work, for anything. Um, <clears throat> they've also planted a church in Somalia. They've, had, they've got a children's orphanage, and there have been approximately... 3,300 baptisms, not counting the one that we just did and ones that they haven't been able to count. So praise God for the work he's done in Ethiopia. Thank you, Ramon, for sharing and for going and being God's vessel. So uh, so some of you don't know this, but we are part of a broader network uh, of churches called the Vineyard Association of Churches. We don't call ourselves a, a denomination, but when you've got over 1,800 churches nation, you know, worldwide, I think, I think your denomination technically, right? Um, but as a part of at least Vineyard USA, we are asked uh, individual churches to be a part of missions partnerships. Our particular partnership, we partner with uh, uh, Puerto Rico, and so there are four Vineyard churches uh, on the island of Puerto Rico, a few more cooking, that we give our time, our energy, and our resource to, and there are other partnerships, as Ramon mentioned, all over the country. So God is doing stuff here in the United States, but it's really fascinating to, uh, to hear and to see what God is doing uh, around, the, around the world, and whenever we get an opportunity to bring those cool stories before you, we will, uh, we will take that opportunity. Well, I want to continue a, ser- a series today that I began several weeks ago, a series that we're simply calling this is us, and of course, this name is familiar. Uh, we, we stole it from the NBC dramedy series, but I, I've, I've been watching the series lately, and I was really drawn to the honesty of this series. I can relate to this series because I'm a real person with real issues. I'm imperfect. I grew up in a great family, but I grew up in an imperfect family, and so the honesty that's sort of displayed by this show, they got issues, they're dysfunctional, they love each other, but they need therapy in their adult life. This is, they just set these people, this family, this storylines before you say, this is, this is who we are, right? 
And so in the spirit of that honesty, we are a family, a family of believers. We are a community of faith. And since we're comprised of humans, like people, we will have fun. We will have good times. We will be healthy in some aspects, but we'll have our share of dysfunction. We will have our share of brokenness. And in the spirit of being honest with ourselves, in the spirit of being honest with God, we bring ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, this is who we are. This is us. The only difference is we allow the Lord to assess who we are and transform and change who we are. We don't say, hey, this is who we are. Take us or leave us. Don't mess with anything. Don't rearrange anything. We humbly say, God, honestly, this is who we are. But Lord, would you transform us? Would you point out the places in us that need to be tweaked? Would you point out the areas of brokenness and dysfunction? Would you show us a more excellent way? And so as we have been working through this series, I told you that there are two important questions that we always need to ask as a Christian church, as people who seek to please God. And the first question is, who are we? This is a question of assessment, like who are we? Like who are we? Good, bad, and ugly, who are we? The second, more, I should say, equally important question is, who are we supposed to be? Who are we gets at who we are, but who are we supposed to be uh, works to set goals for us. It works to frame like what we should aspire to. And so in an effort to find out both who we are uh, and who we're supposed to be, we look to the scriptures, right? And we've framed for years the scripture as the mirror of God's word. When you look into a mirror, you're trying to see if you're on point. You're trying to see if things are together. And sometimes you look in the mirror and you say, man, this is, this is all right. I can work with this, right? And sometimes you look in the mirror and you go, man, I got to rearrange some things. I need a little more mascara. I need some more lipstick. I need some, you know, lotion or something, right? Because it reflects back to you the true state of yourself. And so when we look in the mirror of God's word, we see his pure, excellent, very high standard, Right? And oftentimes when we look in that reflection, we see something that doesn't quite look like Jesus. We see a people, we see attitudes, we see dispositions, we have preferences, we have leanings that don't quite match up with who God is and who God says we are. And that image can feel bad, image can feel condemning, but Christ did not come to condemn us. But he comes to convict us toward a more excellent way, call us higher in faith. And so we're looking as a church in the reflection of God's word, the mirror of God's word, so that we might uh, ascend to a place where God might have us. And so this is all set. This whole series is set at a very unique time in our church's history. It's a time where we're entering a season that we're calling our more than we can imagine campaign. And the campaign centers around this unique opportunity we have to purchase this building that we've been renting for almost eight years. And so it's a really unique opportunity we have. We've got this huge building, this huge property that we've gotten, you know, for $500,000 and the opportunity to remodel it and all those sorts of things. It's just a unique opportunity for us. And by the way, if you haven't already picked up one of our booklets, this is what we're calling our Imagine booklet, you can do that today. It's on the back table. And this book will answer all the questions you have about our giving campaign and the plans for the future. It's really exciting stuff. And so this series is ramping us up toward what we're calling Pledge Sunday, which is March 25th, the last Sunday of this month, where you and your family will have an opportunity to make a two-year pledge to what you and your family feel like God is calling you to sow into this giving campaign so that we might purchase this building and move into the next, the more of the Lord 
for this particular house. And some of you will pledge to give money. Some of you will pledge to give some of your investments or other assets. Some of you are professionals and you own companies and businesses and you will donate services in kind. Whatever your gift is, you'll have an opportunity to formally pledge that on March 25th. And then that leads us to Easter Sunday, August, I'm sorry, April 1st, which will be the first official day of giving. And that's just going to be a joyous time. It's going to be Easter Sunday. We've been ramping up to this, talking about this, and there'll be an opportunity for us to engage and begin what God has set before us. But make no mistake, people, when we're talking about this building, the church is not a building, right? It's one of our largest and most important assets. But, But what we're gearing toward is not just about a building. And what we've been saying for the last couple of weeks is that we want to be an attractive church that just happens to own and meet in an attractive building. In other words, we feel more compelled to work on the guts of who we are, the people, right, our relationships with God and others, then we feel like the building is secondary, right? And so we want to wrap an attractive building around an attractive church And because of that, we're just not talking about the building every single week and getting you excited about the building, but we've been spending a lot of time and energy focusing on who we are, making sure that we are a healthy place so that when we build this place and when we deck it out and people come, we're ready to receive them. Does that make sense? And so we believe that we get to decide who we get to be. God has given us a blank canvas, and we get to decide. We get to choose who we get to be, and my hope is that we choose to be something that God would be pleased with. I hope you like it, right? I hope the community likes it. But above all, I hope that God looks at us and says, you know what? That's a church that I can get into. I want to go there. I want to hang out with them uh, because we want God to be pleased. And so we've talked about being a place where the sick and the healers can come. We've talked about being a community of neighbors, good neighbors. We talked about being a welcoming community. Last week, we talked about the importance of being being a peculiar people or uh, people who are set aside, special people for God who stand out when we go into our Babylons or go out into the world, right? And we talked about having what we call the fundamental orientation toward God. And our, our compass is set toward God, and that helps us to make our decisions, and that helps us make tough decisions when we're pressed and when we're stressed as we walk and work and move in the world around us. And today I want to continue this series by talking about a very important subject, and that subject is diversity. Uh, Diversity. I want to caution you because diversity has become this sexy word in the corporate world, right? It's like the thing to do. It's very attractive. It's very trendy. And and if done wrong, it could be very self-serving for the organization. Uh, because the organizations are more concerned with optics and attracting the best and the brightest and being politically correct. And when I talk about diversity in a kingdom sense, I am not talking about that particular strand of selfish diversity. I'm talking about a kingdom ideal. A kingdom ideal. And diversity simply means showing great variety, having differences of opinions, difference of culture, ethnicity, gender, Uh, socioeconomic backgrounds and and generational backgrounds, just having great, great variety. And it's always been our desire at the South Suburban Vineyard Church from the very beginning, years before we began, and I'll share more of the story later, to be a place for everybody. 
To be a place for everybody. When I say a place for everybody, I know that everybody won't jive with what we do. Everybody won't like what we do here. And some people, I mean, people are just free to come and go as they please. But we are consciously trying to be a place where the most amount, the largest amount of people can come and connect here because we're trying to build what we believe is a diverse community. And I want to talk about a little bit about that. As we talk about this is us, as we talk about who we are and who we want to be, how God is going to be perfecting us, we've been drilling down on the things that are valuable to us or our values and being a diverse people is one of our highest values. And I believe it's also one of God's values. And I want to unpack that today. I'm simply calling this message a diverse people. This is us. This is who we're supposed to be a diverse people. And we're looking at a passage of Scripture, Matthew 28. Would you turn there with me this morning in your Bibles? Matthew 28, we're starting at verse 18. Um, and while you find that, let me pray. By the way, the Bible's on the edges of your row. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll also be projecting the words in, on the screens. Feel free to follow along in your tablets and phones if you'd like. I'll pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you and your house, but I also thank you. I'm really grateful, Lord, that you give us an opportunity to worship with other people, different types of folks from different sides of the tracks, different political leanings, uh, from different walks of life, because we realize, Lord, that diversity is your heart. Real, meaningful diversity that goes deep is your heart, and Lord, we want to be a part of that. And so, Father, help us to grow in that. Help us to uh, climb and ascend to a place of diversity, Lord, that is pleasing to you and help uh, continue to do a work on our hearts so that we might be the church that you are pleased with. Father, I pray, as always, that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 18. And some of you recognize this chapter and verse as what's famously known as the Great Commission. Uh, the Great Commission. This is, this is Jesus' words to his disciples and therefore Jesus' words to us about what we should be up to as we pursue community life, as we, the church, stationed in various communities all over the world. Jesus is essentially giving us our marching orders, what we should do. He, uh, verse 18 reads this way, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, because of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He continues, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Like I said before, this is a familiar text. It's one of my favorites, right? Uh, and as I often caution us when we engage a familiar text to lean in, the tendency is go, I, have, I know this text. I'm good with this. I've heard plenty of sermons on this. I've read this. Perhaps you read this this week. But we, we, we engage a living word that can always speak new and fresh to us. So I want you to lean in this morning. But these three short verses are probably some of the most important instruction in all of Scripture uh, because it frames for us as the people of God what we're supposed to be doing. It frames for us as the people of God what we're supposed to be doing. And I would submit to you today that if, 
if, if many churches, if, if, the, if the Christian church had just used this as a metric, right, used this as a ruler, used this as a guide to say, are we doing the right things? Are we, you know, uh, programming things right? Are we going in the right direction? Many of the churches in America and around the world would have to change their, the mode of operation. If it really took seriously this commission, many of us would have to completely switch up what we do. This is simple, but it's hard. It's not complicated, but it requires some energy and effort. Jesus frames for us what's most important, what every believer should be up to. And I think if we look at this particular passage through the eyes of diversity as a kingdom ideal, we see that some of us have perhaps taken diversity and the multi-ethnic church and things like that as kind of an elective. You go ahead and have a multi-ethnic church. You go ahead and have a diverse church if you're into that sort of thing, right? If you don't mind that, if you're willing to pay what it costs, if that's what you're into, uh, just have at it. That's, that's cute. If you, if you want to do that, just go ahead and do it. Versus saying, this is who we are. Versus saying, this is who we're called to be. Versus saying, this is a kingdom ideal that we need to bend our will toward rather than just taking it or leaving it. The resurrected Jesus appears to the remaining 11 disciples. Remember, Judas has had a bit of an episode and he's out of the picture. So there's 11 disciples now. And the resurrected Jesus in all of his glory comes and he wants a word with his disciples. Now, I think you should listen to Jesus anyway, right? But when the resurrected Jesus, who was dead a few days ago, right, comes and says, hey, I have something really important for you, I think that, like, we should be really all ears, right? And so when Jesus talks to them about this, he said, listen up, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And so in light of what Jesus shares in these three short verses, I want to make three things clear for us as we hold high this kingdom ideal of diversity, as we work to be a diverse people, a more diverse people. I want to highlight three things that flow, I believe, from the Great Commission and the things that Jesus shared. The first thing I want to highlight today is that we should have one common cause. We should have one common cause. As diverse as the church is nationwide, worldwide, all sorts of people from all different walks of life, and I'm sure when Ramon spent a week in Ethiopia, he's like, man, this church is radically different from the church in the U.S., and you go to China, and you go all over the place, all sorts of different types of people. But when I look at this great commission, I find that God expects us to have one common cause and that common cause is that we go make disciples. That we go make disciples. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And in verse 19, he says, therefore, go make disciples. Ramon talked about it a little bit in his testimony about his trip. We talk about it often. But part of God's plan, a central part of God's plan for extending the kingdom is that people who believe, people who have been baptized, people who understand and walk with God, that they don't just rest in their lazy boys and go, oh, it's just me and Jesus. Let me talk to Jesus today. Let me snuggle up with a good book. Let me snuggle with the Bible. 
is that we go and tell somebody else. And not only go and tell somebody else, but we go and walk life out with people who don't know Jesus. And once they come to faith, like we're walking life out and we're showing these new converts how to live this life because it's not all that intuitive, right? And so if you're here today and you have a deep and abiding faith, you would probably relate that you didn't just, you weren't just walking along the road. You looked up at the sun. You thought, oh, there's a God. I should worship him. And you did sort of just divine how to pray and how to live sacrificially and how to love one another. No, most often, it's a case that somebody came alongside you and showed you how to do that. Most often, somebody came and shared the gospel with you and not just shared the gospel, but they showed you the gospel with their life. And for those of us who are finding a rhythm to our faith and have a sweet and deep and abiding faith, it's almost always the case. It's almost always the case that we have been discipled by someone or a group of people or by committee along the road of faith for our life. It generally does not work outside of making disciples. And so part of what we're trying to get at is that what we should be rallying around, our common cause is discipleship through uh, sort of advancing what we call the mission of God, what God is up to, what God expects us to be up to. And I, uh, I think Chris Wright frames it well in one of his books on the uh, kingdom of God. He says the mission of God is simply this, the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. We want to know what we should be about. That's the whole church. That's all of us. All of us, not just the special people, not just the man of God. The whole church taking the whole unedited gospel to the whole world. This is it. The whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Now, when you look at Scripture, you know that this is like the reality of who we are, what we should be doing. But you don't have to be a Christian long before you know that there are some alternative versions of what the mission of God should be and who our targets should be, right? And so the question for us is, how do we know the authentic gospel? How do we know the authentic mission? How do we know the authentic, like, central common cause versus one of the counterfeits? How do we know? Here's how you know. If it's unavailable to certain types of people, then it's false. If it's unavailable to a section of people or this group or that group, or if it makes certain people second class or third class or it holds high one group and pushes down another group, you know you've, you've gotten a hold of something bogus. But the, the true gospel, right, the true mission of God is something that is accessible to everybody. It's something that is appealing. It's something that makes room for everybody. Now, everybody won't engage it. Everybody won't lay hold of it. But I know when I've gotten a hold of the real deal, when it's something that's available to everybody. And you know you've gotten a hold of a bogus alternative version of the gospel if it only welcomes the beautiful people, if it only welcomes the put together, if it only welcomes the elite, the important the well-connected, the put-together, or if it only welcomes the poor and broken. Because some churches you go to, right, the people who are most important 
are the downtrodden, the people of low means, and uh, the people who are, are, are something that that, that that particular group can relate to. But when I look at my Bible, when I look at the person and work of Jesus Christ, Jesus went to everybody. There was nobody that was ineligible to receive the goodness and light of the kingdom through Jesus. He talked to rich tax collectors. He talked to poor people who, who, and touched them and ate with them and hung out with them and everything else in between. There was nobody that his version of the gospel could not reach. And so the question is, how is it that we've gotten so good at slicing off huge sections of people? How is it that we've gotten so good at determining who's most important and who's least important? How is it that we're okay with a gospel that only welcomes or only highlights a certain cross-section of people? That's not who we are. That's not the gospel. That's not the mission of God. The whole church taking the whole gospel, don't leave anything out, to the whole world. To the whole world. Go and make disciples. And so if you've gotten a hold of an alternative version of the gospel that caters to your favorite types of people or people who are like you, then you need to send it back. You need to return it, whole church, whole gospel, whole world, full stop. And so the resurrected Jesus is appearing before his disciples at a point in time where they are, if, like if they don't get it, like if they don't get the gospel, if they don't get this commission, like the church is in peril, Right? You have to understand, these 11 uh, and the ones that would be added after that are responsible for taking the, the, the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom, all over the world. We're sitting here today because of their, of their obedience and fidelity to the instructions that Jesus has given them. And so this is an important, like, this is an important lesson that they're learning, right? And so Christ sends them out with the word, the good news, he sends them out in the power of the Holy Spirit. He empowers them to not only preach, but to heal and deliver. But he sends them out with this gospel, this word that serves as, as, as like, it's like a hammer, like a sledgehammer. A sledgehammer. It's a sledgehammer. Because the ministry of reconciliation uh, to God, the ministry of reconciliation to others is real I call it, it's demolition work. You say, wait a second, the ministry of reconciliation requires a hammer, it's demolition work. What's, what, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm getting at the fact that there's walls everywhere. There's walls everywhere. He said, take this gospel, take this good news, take the kingdom to all of the world. Now, you have to understand that's a, that's a, unique, that's a unique instruction because previously they had been ministering in their area to other Jewish men and women. And so this instruction to go into all the world, to all the world, is like a game changer, right? But what we understand, even living in America, is that there are barriers. There are institutional barriers. There are cultural barriers. There are language barriers. There's socioeconomic barriers and all manners of barriers between the nations. And even within the nations, there's all kinds of walls that just naturally spring up because, well, you know, we're human. And so this one common cause 
that we're supposed to rally around the mission of God, the mission of making disciples, has an interesting addition to those instructions. He says, go to all the nations. And in going to all the nations, our second thing that we're supposed to be focused on as a diverse people is we're called to tear down walls. We're called to tear down walls. Jesus says it here in verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of what? All the nations. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All the nations. And those three little words are a complete game changer. They are complete game changers. I would go as far as to say that some of them might have been surprised that Jesus was calling them to go beyond what was comfortable, going beyond what was familiar, going beyond who they might have immediately thought were deserving of the kingdom and salvation. This is a game changer. All the nations. Because had Jesus just stopped at go make disciples... we'd have a very different sort of outworking of what the mission of God looks like. Had Jesus just say, hey, go minister the gospel, go share your heart with some people. If he just gives us that, he doesn't add to it all the nations, who are we most likely to go to? Our own people. We're most likely to take to, to our own people. Oh, my mom could use this. I really would love her to come to the kingdom. Or my fellow countrymen, or my people who vote along this party line, or people who speak my language. Of course, that's a no-brainer. That's who we're naturally drawn to. Comfort, ease, what's familiar. Jesus understands that. And so he adds these three words that dramatically change what our mission is. It dramatically changes who we're called to. It puts us in an uncomfortable place. It stretches us in ways that we're uncomfortable with. It stretches us in ways that cause us for for, for thousands of years to try to find a way around, a loophole, to going to everybody all over the world, all sorts of different types of people. And Jesus says it doesn't work that way. All the nations. Why? Because it challenges my comfort. It challenges my preference-driven, like, tendencies um, because Jesus has a heart for all people. And what Jesus knows is that without a specific mandate to go to everyone, we're likely just to hit our own people. We're likely just to, to, to connect with people. Maybe, maybe you have gender preference, right? Maybe there are a certain generations that you prefer. Maybe you, I, I just get along. I just, I just prefer older people. They're easier to deal with. They're more mature. I just prefer millennials, man. They're hip. They're cool. They got skinny pants, the cool glasses, or some other generational thing. I just tend to prefer them. That's, that's, that's my niche. And, and, and I walk past everybody else. I won't have eyes for everybody else because there's a certain sort of generational vibe that I'm looking for. And I really think it would be really great. If they would come to church, I've heard people say this throughout the years. Listen, I know this couple, they, they, they would be really great for our church. Now, that statement isn't bad on its face, but I know these people, and what they're saying is, these are the type of people we want here. Uh, th- these people, like, we, really, we would really like to see the church full of people from this demographic. And they go, I've got to preach another message on diversity because they don't get it. We want everybody here, man. 
every age and every color and every stripe. Because if it were left to us, we got to choose, as quiet as it kept, we, 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 we might tend toward our own race. It's just, it's just easier. We got a lot of, we got a high context. We understand each other. A, a lot has, you know, is unspoken because we have shared experience. And black people just tend to get black people better than uh, other ethnicities do. We have just our people or majority of our people. We can enjoy our cultural snacks without somebody infringing on our comforts. Listen, you know, this whole race thing is, is super important, especially at this particular point in history. If Jesus doesn't say all the nations, our tendency would be to gravitate toward our own race, our own culture. And don't even talk about language. My goodness, don't talk about language. That's a huge wall. That's a huge area of preference. And don't even talk about socioeconomics, right? We're not even getting into the realm of politics in the grand scheme of diversity and going to the other. I have some political leanings. I believe I vote the way Jesus would vote. So anybody who doesn't vote the way I vote or believe the way I believe or tweet the things I tweet, I doubt if they're even Christians. Now, don't quote me. I'm, I'm, I'm mocking that idea. I'm not saying that's how I... Don't tweet that. Jesus understands this is very broken. You know, the, the ministry of the gospel... As it's gone out through all the world, I don't believe would have ever happened had Jesus not been specific about all people. Because Jesus is for everybody. The good news isn't good news if it's not good news for everybody. If it's not accessible to everybody, then it's only good news for the slice of people that qualify. This is what the Apostle Paul has to say about this whole thing. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all, I love the word all, and just all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, no longer slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now, this is such a rich text. It's so important, I think it's easily misunderstood. Because our gender is important. Our Ethnicity is important. Our languages are, are important. Our shared experience, our culture, our history, our heritage, it's, it's super important. The specific, unique details about who we are are super, are super important. And this text does not suggest even remotely that God doesn't see color. That God doesn't care about whether you're a male or a female. Or that God doesn't care what your social status is because that makes you who, who, uniquely you. Your unique you-ness makes you who you are because God has a plan for you. And so this doesn't suggest at all that none of those things matter. But what Paul is suggesting is that in Christ, in Christ, there is no first or second class on the basis of gender. In, in Christ, there is no 
uh, uh, preference toward some sort of racial or cultural like category. In Christ, your money doesn't make you a better person or your money doesn't avail you to more of Christ's love. In Christ, uh, as we say often, that the, gr- the ground beneath the cross is, is level. It is level. And if we have eyes to see uh, through the scripture as Jesus has interacted with uh, and countless stories in the scripture and as the ministry of the gospel has gone throughout the world, what the gospel does is it lifts those who are in the gutter up and it pulls those who have exalted themselves down. I'll say that again. The ministry of the gospel finds Jesus comes along looks in the gutter and said, what are you, what are you doing? Now? Get up here. And he takes a few steps and he finds some clown on a pedestal that he's built with his own hands or that somebody else has erected for him. He said, what, what are you doing up here? Get down here. Because all ground is level beneath the cross of Christ. The kingdom of God is level ground. Your money can't buy you this. Your looks can't buy you this. Your education and pedigree... Can't buy you this, all ground is level. And so Paul says, in Christ there's no slave or free. Jew or Greek, male or female, we are one in Christ, which gets at this idea that when we take this gospel to all the nations, God loves all people and wants for the entire world to be brought into the family of faith, into the saving knowledge of the Savior. This is what it means. This is why it's important to go to the all, to, 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 to take this gospel to all nations. And realistically, we won't all take mission trips and we won't all go on missionary journeys across the world. But I believe this all nations has many implications for the community life, the type of church that we are here in this community, that we have to be intentionally, intentionally tearing down walls, intentionally removing the barriers that keep people from Jesus. And it's hard work. It's an ongoing task because the walls are numerous. They're numerous. And Jesus reminds us over and over, and I think he needs to say it louder because we've lost our minds as a church. We've lost our mind as a Christian nation. Who do we think we are? And what Jesus would say if he comes into the evangelical church in America, he would say, don't forget that we tear down walls and we don't build them up. Don't forget that we try to make it easy for people to come into the kingdom and not harder. Don't forget that you are to take a sledgehammer to the walls and not extend them and make them higher. So I can get real deep into that, but I don't want to because I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to get into politics this morning. We tear down walls. Quite as it's kept, it's, 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 it's the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life to come to faith and to live it right and to live it well. It's, it's a high bar. It, it's a heavy standard. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. But it, it's hard to, to die to yourself and be, to be crucified daily. The standard of God is, 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 is hard to bear. 
And so what Jesus will remind us, and the apostles throughout the books, book of Acts will remind us, is that, listen, let's not try to make this harder than it is. Let's try to tear down some things so that people can more easily access the things of God. I wish I had the time to read passage of scripture in Acts chapter 15. It's a passage of scripture where the, the, the council of Jerusalem, where the apostles and the church leaders got together to try to figure out what were going to be the requirements for Gentile converts. Were they going to have to be uh, circumcised? Were they going to have to obey the Jewish law? And many were pushing that, yes, they need to be circumcised. Even if they're adults, they need to be circumcised. They need to follow the law. They need to do this and that. And, and, and basically what P- Peter says, and basically what Paul and Barnabas says is, listen, listen, we're supposed to be tearing down walls and not building them. We're supposed to be making this easier. We're supposed to be limiting the things that keep people from Jesus Christ. Not only don't have to be circumcised, but you want to be circumcised as an adult? Kids probably don't want to be, babies probably don't want to be circumcised, right? And all the things, the law. He said, we couldn't keep the law ourselves, and you want to heap that on somebody else? All to say that our job is to take the hammer of the word, the hammer of the gospel, and break down our walls of preference, break down our walls of things that we have engineered so that we're comfortable and our burdensome to somebody. I'll make it easy for people to engage the family of faith. And that's what we hope to do. And I think we can do a way better job. I think we can do a way better job. Because this is who we're called to be. I gave you two already. I'm going to give you the third one. The third thing I see, and I've been saying this for about a year now, is that diversity, far from just being concerned with the optics and how things look and a really nice demographic count that you can be proud of, uh, diversity is uh, the means and not the end. It's the means and not the end. In other words, some churches and some denominations and some corporate structures are are, are pleased when they get a a good-looking picture. They're pleased when they see a bunch of different faces and they can boast, hey, we have this percentage of African Americans, we have this percentage of this, and this and that. But, but, but the culture of the place is, is, is homogeneous, right? The culture of that place still has like a dominant kind of feel to it, and the diversity doesn't go deep. It's kind of like a candy cane, all different colors, but when you break it, like it's one color on the inside, it's kind of like how, how many people, that's their outworking of diversity. And so I think the kingdom of God and Christ and his ideal and his commission would push us toward a deeper diversity. That our churches would not just be comprised of different looking people, but genuinely be filled with people from different walks of life. And and so much so that their differences will change the, the, the flavor, not just the look, not just the optics, But their differences, the collective differences, will change the flavor of who we are. I say it often that this church is is an institute of higher learning. It's a love university, right? And in a love university, we're challenged to love people that we wouldn't pick. So many of our friendships and so many of our other spaces are elective. We go there because, okay, I like that piece. I can control this environment. You don't know who's going to show up in here. 
You don't know who's going to sit next to you. It's probably somebody sitting next to you right now that's making you uncomfortable. <laughs> Is she bothering you? Okay. <laughs> right? You don't know who's going to show up. A clown could show up with some, you know, things juggling. You don't know. Homeless person can walk in off the, gra- uh, off the street. Somebody could come in wearing something that you, you might think is funny. You don't get to pick who comes here. Many have tried. But this is not how this works. You don't get to pick. And so this is God's way of schooling us in love. I mean, listen, we love our people. Uh, you know, that's a given. But real love is how you relate, how you welcome, how you include, how you show honor to people that you don't pick and people that aren't particularly your cup of tea. If you can honor them and see value in him, this, this is what we teach here. We teach the Bible, but like the, the essence of what we teach is how to love God and how to really love people on their terms and often on their turf. An institute of a higher learning, a love university. And as people come in with their various political leanings, as they come in with their various cultural treasure, we don't say, hey, check that stuff at the door because this is how we roll in here. We say, hey, bring that in here. It's like a potluck. You say, hey, you brought the chicken? You bought the baklava? You bought the, the Spanish rice? You bought the tacos and tamales? You bought the, hey, this is like, bring it. We got a nice spread. But it requires all of us. It requires all. You, you can't have this and have all your snacks. Right? You can't have this and have all of your favorites. We were naive enough to believe that when we planted this church, it was like, man, if the white church draws from white people and black church draws from black people and the Latino church draws from Latino, man, we get to choose from everybody. This place is going to explode. Two, three years down the line, we realized that really our, our pool is smaller because we're, we're only dealing with people who don't mind paying what it costs to do multi-ethnic ministry. We're drawing from a pool of people who will say, I will submit to go, uh, learning how to love people that I don't pick. I would submit to asking more questions than having all the answers. I will entertain the fact that I might, my parents might have steered me wrong (laughs) as it relates to how I view the world. I'm willing to say when a kid gets shot down in the street by a white police officer, I'm willing to say, dang, I, I don't really get, somebody help me understand this. I'm willing to say when some hot button thing happens or some political trigger is released, I'm really, rather than just shoot off an opinion, I'm going to say, you know what? So-and-so's from that country. So-and-so's from that back. Before I opine on this, why don't I go to the source? Why don't I have a conversation? might get heated, but we're learning, right? And so it's the means. Diversity is the means It conditions us. It softens our heart. It it grows us. It it helps us to learn learn to value things that we didn't uh, value before and and see things that we didn't see before and have, you know, secondhand experiences in ways that we didn't have the benefit from before. And oh, it might not change everything you think, but it makes you a different person. 
And as you leave this love university with the social education that you, you really can't get outside of a community of faith, when you go to where you work and when you go to where you go to school and when you go to the marketplace, you have, your, your heart's been changed. You have lenses and you see value in people and experiences that you had before and you're a different person. And guess what? When you go out with the gospel, with the good news, all of a sudden a wider cross-section of people are now eligible to receive the goodness and light of the kingdom from you because you've sat in the brine of, you know, the love university. Your heart's been tenderized and, and been softened. All of a sudden, you see value and say, that person, I would love to see them enjoy the richness and sweetness of the kingdom of heaven. When, when a year before you started interacting in a space like this, you didn't even see them. You didn't even care. Or maybe you grew up in a homogeneous space where you learned to fear those types of people or make assumptions about those types of people. Or maybe you thought you were better than those types of people when all of a sudden you met somebody from that demographic and say, hey, People are so bad. We got a lot of common. Or we don't. But what happens? You begin to see them made in the image of God of much worth and value. And all of a sudden, that all nations, all people, right? And all of a sudden, we begin to live out the mission of God in ways that we weren't before. Before. Frankly, we weren't equipped to. We didn't have the equipment. We didn't have the education. But that's why I say this thing, worship team, you can come up. This thing here is the means. This is what God uses us, you know, uses to get us ready. Uses us to identify blind spots. Uses us together collectively to identify prejudice and our racism and our classism and our sexism like this. Is what God uses to get the people done. And so there is tremendous value, dare I say it, necessity in being a diverse community of believers because that's what God has called us to be because we are people who are supposed to live out the mission of God to make disciples of what all nations and this diverse church is the means to an end and not the end itself. And so even as I sit here, as you sit here and listen, you go, man, I got some, there's some work that I have to do in my heart. There's still some stones that have been unturned with regard to God dealing with the condition of my heart toward other people. And it doesn't matter what category it is, like God, uh, God's goal for us is that we see all people as eligible to receive his kingdom life. Not from somebody else, but from us. That's why it matters that we're a diverse people. This is us. We can do better, and we will. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word and your truth. Thank you so much, Father, that you've drawn different types of folks here to this church. Thank you so much, Father, that you have schooled us in the fine art of loving one another. Thank you, Father, that we not only see value in each other, but we see value in laying down our preferences, laying down our rights so that we might, in a more excellent way, serve you and others. Father, you've called us to be this type of church, and Lord, you know we have a ways to go. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us, you would instruct us, you would show us how we get there. 
Empower us, Lord. Give us your eyes. Give us your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.